I'll give you a few moments to turn with me to the tiny little book of Amos, or Amos, as you might say. I'll say Amos, you say Amos, we'll just agree to yeah, say it wrong, one of us, I don't know. Um, tiny book of Amos, it's uh, right before, uh, right after Joel, right before Obadiah, if that helps, they're all tiny books, but uh, you, some of you might have to flip to the front and see which page is on, and uh, my Bible, it's on page 831, so if you've got the same copy as mine, then uh, Amos chapter 1, we're going to take the next few weeks to, uh, to work our way uh, through this book of Amos, some amazing challenges for us as a church, not some, well, I'll say challenges because they're, they're not easy passages, uh, some challenging things, so uh, be prepared for that. Now, I have learned through the years of preaching that no one really wants to come to church to be challenged, hey? We don't want the challenging messages, we want the, the nice easy ones, right? To just talk about the, the love and the hope of God, and, and that's definitely in, in Amos, but there's also some challenges for us to be aware of things in our life and even to be willing to change them. Um, before I get into the message, I remembered one announcement that I wanted you guys to be aware of, that... Um, uh, many of you have been praying for, uh, for Murray and Louise uh, Shanks, and uh, some of you may not have heard that, uh, that they've been, uh, uh, Murray has been accepted as the, the new senior pastor up at Belmont Baptist Church, and uh, they'll be, uh, he will be, I keep saying they will be, they will be moving up that way and starting up that way, but uh, Murray will be starting on the, the 4th of July, uh, which is Monday, so um, we may or may not see them um, in church here up until then, uh, obviously not this morning, you never know when they're going to pop in, um, but uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, I know many of you have been praying for them for a long time, uh, since 2014, so when they, uh, they left here, and uh, many of you have been praying for them, supporting them, and you'll be celebrating with them that, uh, that Murray has started up there, and praying for uh, both Murray and for uh, Belmont through this time of, of uh, transition. So um, I'm just going to begin by reading just a, a small passage. We're actually looking at uh, Amos chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, uh, to kind of start off this series on Amos. But I just want to read for you just a, a few short verses. So look with me in Amos chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Amos chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, begins by saying this, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, Jehoash was king of Israel. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Haziel and will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in uh, the valley of Evan, the one who holds the scepter at Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Let's just pray. God, we once again want to thank you for the precious gift of your word. And God, may we not seek to pick and choose which passages are easy for us to 
look at, but be a people of your word. All those words, even when those words are difficult or challenging, God, our hope is in you. Teach us, God, to be the church you want us to be, the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, Amos. Now, Amos, here he lived in the, uh, the first half of the 8th century, and it was a time of prosperity for both the, uh, the northern kingdom of, of Israel and the southern kingdom of, of Judah. Um, Jeroboam II was king in Israel, and Uzziah was king in Judah. And both, uh, under both of these kings, the, uh, the kingdom of, of Israel had extended its lands back uh, to where it had been in the time of, of King David and King Solomon. The greatest time of prosperity that, that Israel had ever known was under, under David, a greatest time of military conquest. And then since David and Solomon, uh, Israel came under attack by different enemies, uh, different neighbors, and slowly their lands uh, diminished. And under these two kings, under Jeroboam II and Uzziah, uh, these lands began to be conquered again. It was a great time of of military conquest, a great time of strength for the nation, and a great time of wealth for the people. But Amos here uh, doesn't bring an encouraging word in this time of prosperity. In fact, he, he brings a message of judgment on the people, judgment on those who, who haven't followed God, judgment on God's people who weren't living as they should in a time of impending judgment on the nations that was soon to be overtaken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians because of their sin. The name Amos actually means a burden bearer uh, or one who bears a burden. And uh, this man we know really very little about other than what he, he himself says, that um, he said he is not a prophet or the son of a prophet. He's not from a line of prophets. Uh, and he wasn't a prophet by trade for a king, as many of the prophets in the Old Testament were, or a prophet chosen by God to serve alongside a king and to advise them. He was a shepherd in Tekoa, which is just south of Bethlehem. And it was a tiny little community that, if you're on the... There was, you could see Tekoa from, from Bethlehem and the hills there. But Tekoa was one of the, the bleakest, most barren districts in all of Palestine. It was not a great place to be a shepherd. And uh, Amos actually says that he's not only a shepherd, but a pincher of sycamore trees. Now you might say, what in the world is a pincher of sycamore trees? Uh, but uh, he had the job of going around to the sycamore trees and literally pinching all the fruit. Uh, and so they believed that um, it um, helped the, the fruit to be a bit sweeter if it was uh, if it was pinched and also accelerated its its ripening and so he had that job which he probably he probably went around pinching the sycamore uh, and doing that uh, that job which was kind of a, a low low man on the totem pole's job uh, probably to get grazing rights for his uh, his flocks now there's some debate whether or not uh, he was a, a lowly shepherd and a pincher of sycamore trees, as he says, or whether he was, in fact, the owner of great herds of, uh, of sheep, or, uh, loads of, of sheep, uh, and whether he owned vineyards. Now, that's not clear at all uh, to the Scriptures, so my philosophy on, on scriptural 
stuff is, let's just stick it with what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that he says he's not uh, a prophet by trade. He is a, a simple shepherd from Tekoa, a simple village and a pincher of sycamore trees. And he's been chosen by God. God has given him this vision to share with this nation of, of Israel. He's trying to, to speak up and to, uh, to let the people know how God feels about how they're living and what's going on in that area. Now, the message of the book of Amos is directed really at the sin of the people of God and God's judgment that will come as a result. But Amos starts in a very interesting way. He doesn't start by talking about the sin of God's people. He starts by talking about the sin of everyone else around uh, and all of their neighbors. And we'll find in, in uh, Amos chapter 1, Amos talks about the sins of the Syrians and the, the Philistines, the Phoenicians, the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, uh, and even the, the, the Jewish people from, um, so those from, from Judah, not from Israel. And then it's not until chapter 2 that we begin this whole series really on, on the sins of, of God's people and the, the, the things that they need to be willing to change. And you'll notice all throughout chapter 1, there's a kind of a repetitive phrase that you'll see, which says, for the three sins of, so it begins with three sins of Damascus, even for four I will not relent. And then after, he says, for the three sins of these people, and then even for four I will not relent, there's a list of sins, but it's interesting because he doesn't usually list three sins in that, so he's not saying for these particular three sins. And so you think, well, what is the significance in that? The significance isn't in the list of sins, but actually in the number. Uh, in the Hebrew tradition, three was considered uh, complete. Uh, it was complete, considered uh, full or, or complete. And so God is actually saying to the people there, for a life that's completely full of sin, even beyond that, so overflowing in sin, so they've reached three, even for four, so it's overflowing in sin, the sin of Damascus, I will bring judgment. And so... He begins this thing of over and over for the Syrians and the Philistines and the Phoenicians and Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites. He keeps saying, for the three sins of the Syrians, even for four, for this life that's overflowing in sin, I'm going to bring judgment. Now, have you ever been in trouble? Like, did you ever get in trouble at home or at school? I got in trouble at both. And if I was, I was, if I was ever in trouble at school, then I was in trouble at home too. That's one of the disadvantages probably of the, the small town community is everybody knows everybody. And uh, my teachers always had a word with my, my parents before I got home. And um, so I used to get the paddle at school. Now, uh, thank goodness we don't have the paddles in school anymore. I know here they had the cane instead of the paddle. I never got the cane. I got the paddle. And the paddle is like, essentially, I guess the best way I could describe it would be like a, like a wooden cutting board yeah, for your kitchen a nice big uh, wooden board with a long handle on it. And uh, they would get this and, uh, and obviously, you know, paddle you on, on the behind with it. So if you were, if you were naughty in school. And uh, I have to confess that I had my, my share of times with the, the paddle at school. Um, and sometimes we used to try to get each other in trouble because it was entertaining watching the other person have to get paddle. <laughs> we had one guy in, in year six... Uh, the, the teacher, he used to, most teachers would bring you out of the classroom and they would kind of paddle you and then bring you back. 
this guy, I guess, wanted to make an example of his students. I don't know why, but anyway, he would bring you up in front of the classroom, and then you'd be paddled there. And so we especially would try to get each other in trouble uh, with him so that uh, you'd, everybody would have to watch the other person be paddled. But as I said, I, I always got it if I uh, was, was in trouble at school because I got it at home as well. And I don't know, you've all heard this phrase, but my dad used to always say, right, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And right before he'd, he'd break out the switch or the belt or the paddle, and I think, there's no way this is going to hurt you as much as it's about to hurt me. As a parent, I kind of know what he's talking about, but it's still wrong. Like, it, it, it was still, it was about to hurt me a lot more. Dad used to, um, growing up in the, in the country on the farm, one of the things he used to say, maybe I was at church or out on the farm, and he'd say, right, that's it, go get a switch, yeah? Which meant go get a branch off a tree that he's going to give you a, a paddling with or a spank with. Now, I used to be try, try to be smart, and I would go get this, the driest, most broken little, little thing that he could get me with, and that would just make it worse because he would go get the nice, freshest uh, thing that's going to sting a bit more, I think, to, if I need to, to do what he said in the first place, I guess. But I never once, I don't know about you, I'm not saying I was never wrong, I definitely wasn't a perfect child, but I never once thought I deserved a punishment. I, I just never did. I've always thought other people deserve punishment. I know lots of times I thought, well, yeah, my brother, he could deserve that paddling or someone else's school. And it's interesting that as many times as we may be punished, so often we, we, we think, what I've done is nothing. How does these other people get away with it? What about them? I talked last week about my lack of speeding, I guess, and trying to be obedient to the, the law and, and, and annoying other drivers because I'm actually going the, the speed limit along the area. And I always often think this car just goes flying by. And I think, why do they never get caught? I'm going to go 55 and a 50 and get pulled over, and these guys never seem to get caught. It seems like the sins of, of others sometimes just goes unnoticed. And the wrong that we do seems to, we get pulled up on. Well, the people in Israel here in Amos, as Amos is talking to them, they're very much like a child who really doesn't think he's done anything wrong. And he's happy to see the, the wrong in others. He can see how everyone else needs that, that punishment. And so as Amos starts working his way through the neighbors of Israel, you can see the, the people of Israel kind of cheering him on. And he begins by saying, uh, talking about the, the northeastern neighbors of Israel, the, the Syrians. Now, it uh, begins in chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, to talk about Aram. Now, Aram is, uh, the, the capital city of Aram is Damascus, and it's the, uh, the northeastern border there and uh, they were a principal enemy of israel they were always having border wars and uh especially with the the city of gaza there uh sorry with the uh area of gilead and between the ninth and the eighth century they were all time at battle with these people over whose land was where and and pushing the battle uh, the border either way and so amos begins with them and saying for the three sins of Damascus, this capital city of, of Aram. 
for these three sins plus four, I will bring judgment and I will bring punishment. And he does list some of the cruel things they've done. says that they, they treated people cruelly in times of war. Verse 3 to 5 says, For the three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. And so I will send fire on the house of Haziel and will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadam. I'll break down the gate of Damascus. He will take everything away from them because they have treated people poorly. You will actually find all throughout chapter 1 of this great book, it talks about what uh, we often refer to as crimes against humanity, how we treat people unfairly. And then the rest of the book really is a lot about crimes against God and how the people of God have uh, not been treating God or others uh, as, as they should. And so he begins with these Syrians and saying, because you've treated people unfairly in time of war, you will be destroyed and God will, uh, will seek revenge and you'll be punished for that. And you can hear the, the people of Israel going, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're going to get theirs because they have done wrong and they have, uh, have injured people and, and mistreated people in times of war. And then he goes in, so he goes from the, the northeast corner down to the southwest corner and he starts talking in verse 6, 6 to 8 about the Philistines. And uh, beginning in, in verse 6, he says, this is what the Lord says, for the three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent, because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. Again, here he's talking about the, uh, the Philistines who were actually in five different city-states. Uh, the, the main city was Gaza, and kind of their, their capital city for the Philistine people. And he starts again by saying, and not only are the Syrians going to be punished, but the Philistines for what they have done, because they have, they have enslaved entire uh, communities. They have captured whole communities and sold them to Edom into slavery. And so because they have treated people this way, they will be punished. He goes on then and talks about the Phoenicians who are in the northwest corner. Okay, so we've got the northeast, the southwest, the northwest now with the Phoenicians in verse 9 and 10. It says, For the three sins of Tyre, even for four I will not relent, because again she sold whole communities of captives to Edom. These Phoenicians, again, their leading city was, um, uh, the leading city of Phoenicia was, was Tyre. They were a maritime people and were known for their trades in that way. But again, they often warred against the people of Israel and sometimes captured whole communities to sell them to, um, to the Edomites as slaves. Now, it's hard for us to imagine a military going in and taking a whole community and selling them as slaves. But in reality, what we don't recognize so often in our comfortable Western society, is that still happening in the world. It still happens in places in Africa constantly. And in, in countries like Kenya and Sudan and, and other places in Africa, you have Islamic military groups who go in and take whole villages of women and children and sell them into slavery. It's a shocking thing that especially... Uh, not only into, yeah, into the, the slave trade, it's, it's shocking that we, we still 
have people doing this sort of stuff today. And something that's so foreign to us, we can't really understand it, but it's hard to imagine a military just rolling in and taking our whole community and selling them to another group into slavery. That's what the Philistines did. That's what the Phoenicians did. And Israel were furious about all these things because they were stealing their own people, the people that they loved. And so as Amos is going for what the Syrians have done in their times of war, they will be punished by God. And you can see how the Israelites will be happy with this. And then for the Philistines and the Phoenicians and what they've done, they will be punished by God. And then he goes into the Edomites, which we know the, the Philistines and the Phoenicians both sold people into slavery into Edom and to the Edomites. And so these are the southeastern border of, of Israel, their neighbors, in verse 11 and 12. And it says, This is what the Lord says, For the three sins of Edom, even for four I will not relent, because he pursued his brother with, with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. And so for all of this, he'll be punished. Now, there have been trouble between Israel and Edom all the way back at least in the time of Moses. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21, talks about Edom threatening uh, the people of Israel as Moses just asked permission to walk through their land. He said, look, we have to get from here to there. We have to walk across your land. We're not going to touch any cross. We're not going to bother anything. And Edom said, if they even try, then, uh, then he will attack them and he will chase them with the sword. This even goes back to, to Jacob and Esau. Esau was the forebear of, of Edom. And God's concern is that they have not kept the, the bond of brothers, really. And he's not only concerned, shows with, with national matters, but even with familial matters, matters between families, matters in relationships and how they're treating one another. And the Edomites continued to cause problems in, in Israel's families. They continued to war, and they weren't forgiving. They weren't ever letting go of the hurt from the past, but they still uh, chased the people of Israel with a sword. They still continued uh, to, to rage against them. And God says, because of that unforgiveness, because of that lack of grace, because they continue to do what's wrong and chase what is wrong, they will, they will be punished. And then he talks about the Ammonites in verse 13 to 15. For the three sins of Ammon, even for four I will not relent, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. So I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah and will consume her fortress amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on the storm day. Her king will go into exile, he and his officials together. Now, the Ammonites constantly tried to extend their territory into the, the fertile land of, uh, of the north. And we see that in, uh, it's in Judges, it's in 1 Samuel, it's in 2 Samuel. The, uh, the people in Edom were not in a prosperous area of land. They weren't in a great land for the grazing. They constantly tried to overtake Israel and to uh, take their lands. But if you read this, or if you heard what I read, it's a pretty shocking thing that they've done, isn't it? 
And there's no record of this exact occurrence uh, of the, um, the people of Ammon against Israel. But, in fact, the, um, the slaughter of, of pregnant women was quite common in ancient warfare. And it's detestable because it affects some of the most dependent people, uh, the, the pregnant women, and some of the most vulnerable people, the yet unborn children. And this is a time where God himself says, I will personally respond because of the disgusting sins of these people. He said, I will respond with, with fire and tempest and a whirlwind, and there will be no more. And then he goes into the Moabites. And again, as, as he's saying all of this against the Syrians and the Philistines and the Phoenicians and the Edomites and then these Ammonites for these disgusting things that they've done, the despicable sins that they've done, the people of Israel would be cheering Amos on, saying, yes, finally they're going to pay for what they've done. And he goes into the Moabites who lived along the, uh, the edge of the, the Dead Sea there. And he said that, their crime, and in chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 3, their crime is that they burn the, the king of Edom. For the three sins of Moab, even for four I will not relent, because he burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. I will send fire on Moab and consume the fortress of Kiriath. Now, it's interesting because death by fire was actually one of the forms of capital punishment that Israel itself used but it was only for the worst of the worst of criminals. And uh, the, the Hebrew language here actually says that, uh, rather in, into ashes, it says he burnt, he burnt, well, he burnt the, the bones of the king to, uh, to nothing but a white, white powder or, or the white ash, which... As though the, although the death by fire was a common form of the capital punishment in Israel, it would have never been used for a king. Any sort of royalty, even the enemy's royalty, would have been treated with some sort of respect. And God says, even though you're, they're your enemies, these Moabites have no respect for anyone. They've taken Edom's king and have killed him and and burn him to ashes. And so God said he will consume them and destroy them. Now, that's all pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? That's a lot of horrible sins that have been going on and a lot of horrible punishments that's going on. These are serious crimes against humanity and they're serious punishments by God. The neighbors of Israel were pretty rough people, weren't they? It was a pretty rough time. Israel would have almost cheered on Amos as he pronounced God's judgment on these people, these Syrians and Philistines and Phoenicians and Edomites and Ammonites and Moabites. There is punishment when we go outside of God's ways and we try to do things on our own. Each of these nations denied that, that God even existed and, and refused to follow His ways. And they just made a mess out of everything. They were a constantly warring people, never at peace, always in that sin. And each of these people had decided to go their own way and they did some horrible things. 
and they receive God's wrath and God's punishment for that. But unfortunately, the people of God are not exempt from that. In fact, they're actually the focus of most of the book. And I said, if we start really in the, uh, this next part of chapter 2 next week and we work our way through some of the challenging chapters of, of Amos, we will see how the very people of God are challenged with the way that they treat God and the way that they treat one another. And we, as the people of God today, need to be challenged as well in that. Because it's easy to see the sin of our neighbors, isn't it? It's easy to see the wrong in other people or to, to think who we think deserves judgment or who we think deserves punishment. It's harder when we're asked to look at ourselves. It's harder when we're asked to look at our church or the church in general. It's harder when we're asked to look at our marriage or our family. It's harder when we're asked to look at ourselves. And this book, Amos, is a great challenge for us as a church to look at ourselves, how we are treating others, and to recognize that there is a right and there is a wrong. God is a God of, of justice. He's a God of righteousness. And there is punishment when we go outside of that. It's easy to look at others and think that other sins are worse than ours, but we need to recognize not only does God judge those others, but God will judge us. And we often, even today, see the horrible sins that others are doing and we think of groups like Islamic State and we hear of horrible things like these uh, beheadings and crucifixions and murder by fire. We see a, a reign of terror all across the world, the killing of innocent people. We also see the, the rise of, the subtle rise, I think, of, of what we might call acceptable sins. What the, world, what the Bible says is wrong and yet we say is okay. Things like homosexuality and divorce, abortion, drug and alcohol misuse, and the list goes on and on. That now the, the world has said, no, no, this is now okay. This is now all right. And God says, no, there is a standard. There is a way in which it will work the best. There is a way in which you can have this abundant life and you're stepping outside of that, there is consequences for them. We often sit and judge others. God sees what is wrong, and He sees what displeases Him, and He says He will judge. He is a just God who will bless those who follow Him, and He'll punish those who deny Him or rebel against Him. But church, we also need to know that we're not exempt from that. But alongside of this judgment and this wrath of God is this God of grace. A God who says, you have stepped outside of what is right. You have gone the wrong way. You've gone down the wrong path. But all you have to do is turn to me and I will show you forgiveness and I will show you mercy and I will show you grace. We have God's grace as His church, as His children. But with such liberty also comes great responsibility to be God's church. And over these next few weeks, we want to be challenged together in areas that we may have failed God, in areas that we may need to work on as a church and as a people of God. God judges sin, all sin, inside and outside of the church. Those who deny Him, they will be eternally separated from God. 
for those who don't follow his ways, there are consequences for our sin and for our wrong. And even for the Christian who doesn't live out God's word, he will redefine and he will mold us and lead us to who he's created us to be. Now this can be a painful process, a challenging process, an alarming time for us. But we need to rise to the challenge of God and trust Him to minister through us as we allow Him to change us into who He wants us to be. I'm so thankful that the many, many, many times through the years that I've stepped outside God's will, that I've sinned, that I've fallen, God has shown grace. God has shown mercy. There's a punishment for that sin. Thank God Christ was willing to pay that punishment on the cross for us. And in Jesus Christ, we have mercy and we have grace. As God says, I know what you deserve for that sin. I know all of that wrong. And you deserve to be separated from me. But I want to offer you life and hope, forgiveness and mercy. If only you trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. If only we'll put our faith in Him. You don't have to have this punishment. You don't have to have that condemnation. You don't have to have a separation from God. There's no more death and no more suffering. There's mercy. Not because we deserve it, because God is not only a God of justice and righteousness, He's a God of grace and mercy. And you know what? People may say, well, there's an Old Testament God, there's a New Testament God. No, there's just God. God is a God of strength. God is a God of majesty. He's a God of justice. He's a God who says there is a right and there is a wrong. But He's a God of mercy and He's a God of grace. And we will see as the people trust in Him, He will see them through. He will protect them. He'll be there for them. And the same is true for us. He will show mercy and He'll show grace as we put our trust in Him. So over these next few weeks, I want to challenge us as a church to be willing to listen to God. How He may be saying to us, to you, to me, to us as a church, we may need to change a few things. We may need to do things differently. We may need to be aware that we're no longer following in God's ways and we need to be willing to change that together as this church, to help each other, to lead each other closer to God, not to push each other further away. Let's love each other in the way God loves us, who says, yes, there's a right and yes, there's a wrong, but even those who have fallen, I'll show grace and I'll show mercy We're going to love each other together. We're going to lead each other closer to God's grace. Let's just pray. God, I thank you and I praise you that you're here to lead us. That you love us, God, so much that you do protect us and you're you're here to, to show us grace and mercy. And God, we recognize not only have our neighbors fallen, not only have our others around us fallen and and be sinful people but god we ourselves have to be willing to take a look in the mirror and recognize where we have failed you and lord we thank you that although there's punishment for those who who choose to not go your way you offer god to all people grace mercy forgiveness hope and god if for any who will trust in you You will forgive completely. God, help us. No matter our mistakes or no matter how many times to turn to you, to receive your grace 
and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the way you love us. Help us, God, to be faithful to you. To not just look at the horrible sins of others, but to look at our own lives and the things you want us to change to more accurately reflect your love and grace as the people of God in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.